It looks like most of us survived the, this uh, tumultuous week with another hurricane. This hurricane season seems to now be upon us as it's ramped up upon us, and it seems like at this time of the year, September and October, and, and the fall is, is coming. doesn't feel like it just yet, but we're starting to get little glimpses of it uh, as coming upon us as things get really busy uh, with the coming fall. Uh, I do hope that you all fared well during the storm, you and your family and your home, um, and have been able to uh, move on past it. This morning, as we are looking now to the fourth message in our series, this short series on the diaconate, the ministry of deacons for the body of Christ, next week we will conclude this series, and then after that we will jump back into the book of Exodus. It seems so long now since we've been in, been in Exodus, but I'm really looking forward to, to getting back into, that, uh, back into that book. In the three parts so far that we have been in and asking and talking about the diaconate, we have already asked at least two very important questions. The first of those was who serves the church? And if you don't remember this or haven't heard that, go back and listen to the first sermon. It certainly lays out the, um, the foundation of why as Sovereign Grace Church we're thinking and looking toward deacons and, and being taught on such, help you understand that. But we asked this first question, who serves the church? And fundamentally in that first message, we answered it from two very important parts. And that is number one, the church deacons the church. The church serves the church. And secondly, we saw how the elders, a plurality of elders, deacon the church. The third answer to that question, which I hope became obvious, which was in the second message, was that deacons serve the church. We looked to Acts chapter 6, and we saw how God in in Acts chapter 6, providentially provided through a potential disaster in his church in, in Jerusalem. God gave his apostles wisdom and instruction on how to navigate through that. And the apostles instructed the church to pick seven good men to do the work of the deacon, to serve tables to prioritize the preaching of God's word, to be shock absorbers, those who heal the wounds of the church. They create unity and they ease tension. This is their job. This is what we see in Acts chapter 6. This is what they do. The second question that we asked in the series, which we talked about last week, was who can serve the church? Well, it's the deacons that serve. We answered that question previously, but what should... Con what should concern us is in the who question is not just the deacons, but who can serve as a deacon, who is to be qualified as a deacon. Are there standards, are there qualifications that we as the church must abide by in choosing the deacons for our church? Or is this office open to anyone who has a desire to serve? If they have a spirit of service, even gifts to serve, certain talents and certain areas and needs that the church has. And so, pragmatically, wouldn't it be wise for us to put such individuals in those 
in those places? Should we pick people who are culturally acceptable? Those who maybe meet certain diversity quotas. Those who, uh, who meet those, those particular areas of the culture that seem to be such a priority. Should we prioritize as a church our virtue signaling before unbelievers? That we can be as cool as they are and have concerns uh, that they have about equal representation. Well, if you were here with us last week, then you know that the answers to those questions are a firm no. Rather, the church has been given God's word. We have been given the edict from the king to his people on his qualifications and his standards by which we are to pick qualified biblical men among us to serve in the office of deacon. 1 Timothy chapter 3 is listed with these qualifications, that a deacon must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. A deacon must hold to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. A deacon must be tested first, and lastly, a deacon must lead his household well. I'm not going to unpack those again. Again, I encourage you to listen to those message ups up on our website, but with those, I gave you three important uh, truths about these qualifications that apply to every church in looking for those who are qualified. Number one, these standards are indispensable. The must-bes in the passage of 1 Timothy chapter 3 are absolute, and they're showing us over and over again the qualities and standards of the king that are indispensable. They are directives that we cannot diminish or forsake because compromise in these areas, listen to me, will be the beginning of the end for the church. We have seen it over and over again. Secondly, these standards are realistically obtainable. We all should be striving daily to be walking in God's grace together to be in these qualities, right? Certainly none of us who claims to be Christ should be double-tongued. We should be dignified in all things, but the encouragement is to those who are our brothers this morning that these things are realistically obtainable, so press in and lean in. And lastly, these standards are predominantly ethical. None of these questions are about skills or talents or intersectionality, but rather they show us ethics and morals that the man of God who walks by the grace of God prioritize these things over anything in their life. And now this morning we come to our third question. And in this third question we say to ourselves that the king has given us the office. He has given us the office of deacons to serve the church. The king has told us the qualifications of those to serve. And if that's the case, then we must ask this next question. How do they serve? How do they serve? Practically speaking, this question pertains to the role and function of a deacon in that office. Now, certainly over the past three weeks, we have answered this question in part. But this morning, I want us to unpack the central and primary role of those that will serve within the diaconate. And then at the end, I will describe or at least attempt to describe what that will look like at Sovereign Grace Church. So now we need to answer the question, 
As we answer this first question, how do they serve, we must also answer the question, and I think the question is why, why do we need to answer this question? Well, let's look to the text of 1 Timothy chapter 3 again. We looked at it last week, and let's look again, but this time now starting in verse 14. I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. And this is the word of the Lord. And may His Holy Spirit move in our hearts to, to hear and to see His holy, inspired, and inerrant word for His glory and our joy. Amen. We've certainly been referencing these verses from 1 Timothy quite a bit over these past couple weeks, and I think that this, these verses in particular now apply directly to us in asking the question, why? Why do we need to understand what deacons do? Why we need to understand what their roles and their functions are to the church? Though it doesn't, in this passage, spell out for us a, a direct... Uh, um, job description of what a deacon is to be, but rather we see the general function of the diaconal ministry in the local church. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul, he is not writing us a textbook. He's not writing us a law book, a book of just to-dos and don'ts, but he is writing a book of love, a letter of love and some instruction to a dear brother in Christ and pastor that he put in place in the city of Ephesus to shepherd God's people who Paul dearly loved. And he tells Timothy, and he instructs them in, in chapter 1 to maintain pure doctrine. Maintain pure doctrine, right doctrine. That which has been taught. Chapter 2, he encourages him in the centrality of prayer and worship in the church. He goes on in, from there in chapter 2 to, to discuss the proper role of women and men in the church. And then here in chapter 3, in the beginning, he lists out for us the qualifications of the elders. And then deacons in verses 8 through 13. And why does he tell Timothy all of that in this letter? Well, we see here, because providentially Paul has a desire to be with Timothy, but he cannot be there with him. He is delayed. He is unable to be there. He is hindered. And so he, he writes, I want to be there. I am delayed to be there. But since I cannot, I write to you why, verse 15, 
so that you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. To behave means to do what is biblically correct. As we saw in our first sermon, looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 14, it's to do things that are decently and in order. And so orderly behavior in the body of Christ is a purpose of why Paul is writing to Timothy. And so do you see that there? That there is a right way and right order to behave in the church, and there is also a wrong way that the church can be ordered or behave. And certainly that speaks to the necessity of theological clarity and prayer and in worship. But Paul tells us that I write to you here that you know may you may know how ought to behave because I'm not there to tell you these things comes right after the qualifications for elders and deacons. Which means here is how you behave. Have qualified overseers have qualified servants and then right here at the end of verse 15 and into verse 16 there is this glorious decoration after this 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 thing this is how you're to behave but then there's this glorious declaration to the church that the living god is to be a pillar and buttress of truth and so what it shows us here is that that is inseparably linked to our behavior in the church, in the order of the body of Christ. Our confession is as such, certainly, right? We see that here, that he, became, he came in the flesh. He was vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels. We have a message, his message of the gospel that is to be proclaimed among the nations where we know as his elect will believe and will gain an entrance into the kingdom of God and will gain an inheritance from Christ. But if we are not behaving in the way that God has told us to behave, then how are we to be a pillar and buttress of truth? If we are disordered and disbehaving, how can we reflect order and a pillar of strength and truth? And so what I propose to you this morning is the absolute necessity of biblically qualified deacons that function as the scripture shows us, is a massive part of the church behaving properly and maintaining its responsibility of being a pillar and buttress of truth. Without deacons functioning as they should, hear me on this, and among other things, there will be disorder. We as a church, we will be prone to nasty sin like it's coming up in Acts chapter 6. We will be prone to complaints. Saints will not be served in the ways that they will need. The poor and needy will not be taken care of. The church will be known more for its neglect and disbehavior than the priority of preaching the gospel. I told myself today that I was going to try to be more didactic and less preachy 
and yet here I go. Because after all, I want to teach about the roles of deacons. I hope by now you can answer, at least in some part, these questions. Such as, what the primary role, what's the primary idea, the central idea of the role of a deacon? I hope that you will know how to answer that question. If you don't, if you don't remember, let me help you out. A deacon, to deacon, literally means to serve. That's the verb, diakoneo which translates as to serve, to provide, to help, to bring, to deliver, to administer, to minister, to give. The noun usage is diakonos, which is often tra uh, translated as servant, attendant, minister. And it's used over 24 times in the New Testament. And then there are three other times that it is, that as a noun, it's not translated as servant, but it's translated as the proper noun, what we call deacon. And we saw that the, the scriptural evidence for the office of deacon namely comes from, Tim, uh, comes from uh, Philippians chapter 1, as well as here from 1 Timothy chapter 3, that there is an office called deacons. So the central fact and what is fundamental in the office of deacon is what? Is to serve. It is an office of service. And no surprise, this is what we've been talking about. We've been using serve and service and all these things for, for weeks now. In Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, we, we see where this idea is made absolutely concrete. In verse 2, it says, in the twelve, meaning the apostles, they, they, summoned, they summoned the number of disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Serving tables is not this demeaning task that the apostles are like, we're too good to do. So we just want to pass that on to someone else. No, the evidence is there from the beginning is that the apostles had already been serving tables. They've already been serving the church in such ways. But for them, as they say here, we must prioritize the preaching of God's word in prayer. So someone still, though, has to deacon tables. Make sure that these important tasks are done, is what, what they're saying. In verse 3, they give the plan. Here's the, the wisdom that God gives them in the plan. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute. Here are some qualifications, full of the Spirit and wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry, the deaconing of the Word. First Timothy 3, verse 10. And let them also be tested first. Let them serve deacon. Let them deacon as deacons. And if they prove themselves blameless, deacons serve. If they are not serving, then they are not deacons. If they are serving, then they are deaconing. Then in verse 13 of 1 Timothy chapter 3, for those who deacon or serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. 
We cannot see anything different from what the scripture has so clearly laid out for us. That the deacon's central role and function as a deacon is to be a servant. Is to serve. There is nothing else there but to serve. Now some might say that, that this is a generalized term. That this doesn't really mean that they serve and having to get their hands dirty and wiping tables and cleaning up after children and all of these things. But it really means that they serve with some kind of authority. And we'll discuss some of that later, what that means exactly. But what they're saying is in such a way that we think of sometimes public servants. Oh, look, someone serves in the Senate for their whole life, and they want to claim themselves to be a public servant. I've made millions from you, but I've been serving you bull honky. The servant of a deacon, the service of a deacon is no such thing. And if that was true, if it was a position of authority then why would the Apostle Paul later in chapter 5 make a very contrasting remark when he speaks of the elders and he says to them, let them who rule well. Let them who oversee well be worthy of double honor because there is a clear distinction between the two offices. If the role of elder then is the central, centrally then is to serve then how does that then work out in the service of church? Well, let me give you three. One of these points we've already talked about before, and that is deacons serve the body of Christ and the world to prioritize the prayer and preaching of the gospel in the church of Jesus Christ. The whole purpose of the appointment of deacons, as you might remember from Acts chapter 6, was not just to meet the felt needs of serving tables or to remove this complaint among them, but it was to make sure that the ministry of the word of God was not neglected or to not to be put to side or to be uh, uh, put to the side to serve tables and for busyness and to be distracted from it. Serving the church by serving tables of the deacons is to prioritize and to uphold the prayer and preaching of the gospel by the elders. This lightens the load of the elders. And this isn't prioritizing man over God. It's not prioritizing the physical over the spiritual. It's not prioritizing the body over the soul. But we only meet the needs as deacons to the body so that they will be able to see and delight and enjoy the glories of God and their word. And they are not burdened by this world and burdened by the things of this world. To only meet the needs of the body is a wrongful evaluation of not only what, of who God is, but also of man. To give man all that they need and not give them the gospel and to give them the preaching of the, the gospel what do we still have left? We still have man who is lost and dead in their sins. What can a man have if he gains the whole world, but if he forfeits his soul? Rather, a deacon, a solid deacon, prioritizes God over man. 
He prioritizes the preaching and prayer in the church as the means of grace by which the church has for itself as its priority, which also is God's priority for his church. Their serving not only sets free the elder to be single-minded in their work of shepherding and overseeing, but as we just said, that it alleviates anything that may hinder the joy and union of the body of Christ by meeting their needs of the church. If a brother or sister cannot come to church because their car is broken, that hinders them from receiving the joy of gathering with the body and hearing the preaching of the word. But a faithful deacon will know the priority of picking the brother up is not just to be nice, but for this brother to be alleviated so that he or she can hear the gospel and be encouraged by the body of Christ. Do you hear what I'm saying? The service of deacons does just that. And as a church, we must not ever diminish that as just being mere service. Because things just have to be done. Second, deacons serve to manifest Christ's compassion and care for the poor and needy. The scriptures are clear that Jesus has a concern, God has a concern for the poor and needy. And we defined this a few weeks ago as anyone who is burdened with all sorts of trials. This isn't just financial needs, but of all sorts of trials and affliction, but those who seek their help from the Lord. One of the identifying marks that Jesus said that showed that he was the Messiah was doing what? His, his care and his concern for the poor and needy. When John the Baptist's disciples came to him and asked him, are you the Messiah? Are you really the one who has come, the Lamb of God? And what did Jesus tell them, his disciples to go back and tell John? He told them, have the blind not received sight? Have the lame not walked? Have the lepers been cleansed? Are the deaf to hearing? Have the dead been raised? Has the poor received the good news preached to them? And for that matter, when we understand Christ's compassion and care for the poor and needy, as being linked to those who have great joy in the gospel. We see Jesus tells us in John chapter 12, verse 8, that the poor and needy you will have with you always. James chapter five, 2, verse 5, Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith, and they are and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? Has not God chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 27, 20, uh, 27 to 29. God chose what is weak in the world to shame what is the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring, no, no, uh, to bring nothing that is, is, nothing that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Deacons are given to us by God to serve tables. We know that. And to serve the table of those who are in need. Their calling is to, to meet needs and to facilitate the physical needs of the church. The elders delegate the certain facets of their own ministry as we see the 
the apostles doing in Acts chapter 6. They, 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 uh, um, they uh, delegate these certain facets to this other biblical office to meet these needs because Christ has given them to the church. And these deacons then show compassion, Christ's compassion for the poor and needy in all the matters of the, the physical matters of the church. All the things, once again, that would hinder the joy of hearing the gospel and gathering with the church of all of those who are in need. The deacon is an office ordained by God for the focused care of the physical and financial needs of the church, its members, the poor and needy, and to display a care and compassion of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Third, deacons serve so that all things are done in an order and decently in the church. Deacons serve so that all things are done in order and decently in the church. And again, that comes out of 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33. But let all things be done decently and in order. And also, as we read this morning from 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, this is how you ought to behave, the giving of deacons to, to serve well, because that is what affects the behavior of the body of Christ. Think about all the ways that deacons can and should serve the church. Straightening up of chairs, parking lot matters, picking up trash, children's ministry, cleaning, setting up tables, caring for the membership and all the ways that, that, that may be there, the physical needs that may come up in life, the providing of meals, the organizing of such things, hospitality, the book table, maintaining the book table, maintaining the air conditionings. There's three of them in this place. Changing light bulbs. Look at all the light bulbs. Locking and unlocking the doors, which is a very important thing for our church, for those who know. Setting up and preparing for baptisms. The benevolence. Benevolence ministries, helping those who are in need. And so much more. And it's very interesting to me, and in these last couple weeks, as we've been preaching through deacons, how many times I've seen the need in our church for deacons. There is a lot of responsibility in those tasks and so much more. That, that list is not even close to being exhaustive, especially in a growing church such as our own. And so then, then deacons, they are, they are given to serve the total life of the body of Christ. To make sure that all things and everything is in its place because of the orderliness of Christ's church reflects the order of God himself. Who is not a God of chaos, but a God of order. Again, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 33. We are not disembodied creatures, but we are a people who physically meet each and every Lord's day. We must have something to sit on. Summer is hot, winter is cool, HVAC needs to work, and all the other administrations of the church that need to be done on a weekly basis or on a monthly basis or yearly basis. All of these administrations need to be done among the body of Christ along with the needs that come up throughout the year. 
And to meet these administrations and to meet these needs among the body, the church then has given by God the freedom to pick among us deacons who are qualified with these gifts to serve. And as we grow, who will care for all the needs of this building? Our children, the poor and needy, the hospitality, again, the book table, and on and on. But the deacons... And our church with deacons should be in a place in such a way that everyone then who comes to Sovereign Grace Church, everyone who visits Sovereign Grace Church doesn't even have to think about those things. Will the air conditioning be on? Will the doors be unlocked? Will the book table be in order? Will the seats be straightened? Because all of those things will be in place. The service of deacons is a witness to the orderliness of God and his church. And they alleviate then all the distractions and hindrances of the joy to keep all things in order, again, which reflects the character of God. So these are the, this is the, the central role of deacons. And another second point I'd like to make this morning in our sermon, in this sermon, is if the roles and functions of deacons fundamentally is to serve by prioritizing the preaching of God's word, manifesting the compassion and care of Christ's church, and to maintain our witness of good behavior by making sure all things are in order, then these deacons, excuse me, they, they serve under this authority, right? They serve under the authority, as we have already said, been delegated by the, by the elders for the joy of the church. And yet we know, brothers and sisters, that evil is still real. That evil one still lurks, and the evil one seeks to divide his, his, the ones whom he loves upon one very important place in many times, in many areas. And that is, he likes to divide the church on the place of authority. He likes to divide his people on the line of authority. Husbands and wives, we see it in parents and children, we see it boss and employee, we understand this, this division. And this also, unfortunately, is in the case of the church between even pastors and the congregation or even between the two offices of the church of elder and deacon or elder versus deacon. But this ought not to be the case. Because the Bible is so clear on the distinctions between them. Clearly clearly defining, as I have already done so, clearly defining as the Bible says that there are differing roles for the joy of the body of Christ. 1 Timothy chapter 3, the qualifications of both elders and deacons, they're pretty much close to being the same thing, of the same care, but the very striking, clear distinction that Paul makes in that elders are to be able to teach. That doesn't mean that deacons shouldn't teach, nor does it mean that they shouldn't understand the mysteries of the gospel with a clear conscience. That is a qualification of a, de of a deacon. What it does mean is it just means that the gift and responsibility of teaching in the church is in the office of elder. Another distinction is that for the deacons is that nowhere in the Bible Nowhere in the Bible does it show deacons described as overseers or rulers in the church, like elders are. 
their responsibility, as we've already discussed and already described, that the name deacon means servant. Why? Because that's what they are. That's what they do. Deacon is an office. It inevitably, it will, inevitably, it will exercise a measure of influence and leadership within the congregation, namely in the particular areas of responsibility. Right? The, the seven chosen in Acts chapter 6 to properly organize and to delegate the daily distributions uh, throughout the church. Inevitably, they were going to have to make leadership uh, decisions and have a team together to work together to serve the many, many uh, widows among them. The principle then here, I believe by, uh, given by H.B. Charles when he said, elders serve by leading and deacons lead by serving. Deacons are not authoritative leaders of the whole congregation, but in leading, in serving, they are facilitating a ministry to the congregation to meet the needs of the congregation, to protect the joy of the congregation and prioritize prayer and preaching among the congregation. And so if there's not a clear distinction between the two roles of elder and deacon, then it can become a us versus them rivalry. Again, the evil one seeks to divide us. And the way to keep this from happening, especially in some situations, in some areas where it could either be an elder issue or a deacon task, because they do and can run together. First, let me give you some advice. Let, let us get some advice for our deacons and for our elders. That number one here, elders need to be careful not to assume that every matter of administration needs to be handled by the elders. That can be overwhelming and time-consuming. In fact, that's the whole point of Acts chapter 6. It became overwhelming and time-consuming. Instead, elders need to labor and build a trust with the deacons. Labor to build a trust, excuse me, with the deacons. Give necessary oversight and then let the qualified man do what God has called him to do. And I can tell you, and Bill will definitely tell you, that this is something that I know that I am going to have a hard time doing. Not because I'm a control freak, well, sort of. <laughs> I like things done in a certain way. But mainly because we've already been doing so much of these things already ourselves. And I already, we already know how these things are and how we want these things to be done. It will be hard to let things go, but it will be necessary to trust the deacons that God has provided them to serve. And so we must let them serve. And secondly, as elders, we need to model good communication with the deacons. Deacons would be a good place for elders to seek counsel when certain decisions need to be made, especially pertaining to the area or task of ministry that the deacon is serving in. Nor should that deacon ever be caught off by a decision in the area, caught off guard by any decision that the elder makes in that particular area. As well as the deacons must communicate with the elders for oversight in particular situations. It is a hard role. For both. But in any relationship, open lines of communication is absolutely vital. And one more, and this time to the deacons. 
Cultivate in your heart a posture of support without an attitude that you are just playing second fiddle. Cultivate in your heart a posture of support without an attitude that you are just playing second fiddle. Deacons are not second-rate officers, but they are a gift to the body of Christ. And if we get our mindset that servanthood is a demeaning role, then you have demeaned the role of Christ, who is a servant, who came to deacon, not to be deaconed, but to deacon. Let us not diminish that role. The service of a deacon in all of its ways even as menial and as lonely and as thankless as sometimes it may be, it displays and manifests Christ's compassion and care and love for His church. We should never believe otherwise. In first, or 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul tells the church, go ahead and put that verse up there, thank you. Paul tells the church about these men that are coming to them, along with, with Titus, that he is sending to them. And he says that there are these, these brothers that are being sent to them, and they're bringing an offering to, to the church. But there's this unnamed group of brothers there in verse 23. And these brothers who are bringing this offering, they are what? He calls them messengers of the churches. Meaning they are coming with this offering to give to them with a message of the gospel, of love, representing the gospel of, from all the churches to whom they have come to serve. And then Paul says this, he says, he says, the glory of Christ. What does he mean here, the glory? He means the, the outshining of the perfections of something or someone else. Meaning here, these brothers and Titus are coming to the churches. They are the glory of Christ. These churches are the glory of Christ. They are the representation of the glories of Christ. And this glory is not reflected from the heavens, right? It's not the heavens are declaring the glory of God. The glories of Christ are being reflected by what? The church. Do you see that there? The glory here is not reflected by the heavens, but the glory of Christ through the church. And it's manifested to the church in Corinth by who? By these brothers who have come to serve those who are in need. The office of deacon and service of a deacon should never be diminished but is this noble task that reflects and shows the glories of Christ. In fact, it is such a distinct and important role. Frankly, the office of elder is never spoken with such glorious words. Yes, under shepherds of Christ, but never the glories of Christ. These offices are not two separate offices of co-equal branches at odds to keep each other in check. May it never be. But they work together 
to the, with, with each with their roles and their functions that God has given to the glory of Christ and for the joy of his people. And lastly, as I told you at the end, I would tell you what will deacons be at Sovereign Grace Church. As we are about to be done, I want you to know that we see deacons who are to meet specific roles and functions as deacons, and then how that's going to work out in our church. Number one, our deacons do not serve alone, but mobilize members to do the work of the ministry. And here's again, we must be careful and not believe that once we have deacons, then everyone is off the hook from doing the work of the ministry or serving one another. Again, go back to the first message that the church serves the church. In some cases, of course, and in some situations, deacons, uh, a deacon or maybe two deacons or with their wife will have to be alone in certain situations with a church member to meet a sensitive need with discretion. However, much of the work of the deacon is to be working with the other members in the church who are also gifted, talented, and called to take care of whatever need that there is among the body of Christ. The church is the army to do the work of the ministry that the deacon facilitates leading by serving. Second, deacons are to be task-specific, role-oriented. If they each have a specific task and, and role in the church, then brothers and sisters, hear me on this. We are going to break from some serious tradition when I say this. Hold your breath because here it comes. Deacons will not be a deacon board or committee. We all know that if a committee is not limited by task and time, they just don't work. If you've ever been on a committee of 12 members and 12 people, there are 11 who show up to the meetings having done nothing or thought of nothing of that meeting. Committees do not work, but individuals do. And so why have an office of deacon who is to meet the physical needs of the church than have them to make every decision through the filter of a committee? Especially when the church has already appointed them to do it. A deacon board and committee will clogs the process. It discourages deacons. It discourages the church. It discourages the elders and things that need to get done. You know, it's encouraging, and it will be edifying to the church when a gifted, qualified deacon is able to do what they have been called to do, that they've been entrusted to do, and not bogged down into groupthink that is not only unwise, but dangerous to the church and to the deacon. Now, that doesn't mean that one deacon could not ask another deacon for help or advice or counsels in certain situations. That would be foolish, but absolutely, that, 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 that doesn't mean or make them any more authoritative as a group. Lastly, again, because that's not their role. Lastly, a deacon board can easily pit themselves against an elder board. These offices are not co-equal legislative branches like the House and the Senate. No, they are two separate offices with this distinct roles and functions. 
And rather, here at Sovereign Grace Church, our deacons, they will be task-specific. They will be given certain roles and freedom then within those roles and trusted to do what needs to be done to fulfill that role and those tasks so that the church would continue to stay in good and decent order and that we would know how to behave among one another and to meet the needs of the body of Christ. So at this point in time, the elders have categorized three tasks and three specific needs that we are asking you to find among, among us. Three deacons. Task one, a deacon of general functions to the church, meaning this, this includes the maintaining of the buildings and grounds of Sovereign Grace Church. This also includes the, the overseeing of the preparations for the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper. That's task one. Task two, a deacon for the care of the body of Christ. That is facilitating weekly uh, uh, the, the general hospitality of church, the, the church members and those who come, welcoming and things like that. Membership care. And there are needs for food and meals and whatever that they would make sure that those are being organized and taken care of. Matters of benevolence for the poor and the needy. And also the upkeep and the organization of our book table. Task three, a deacon for the ministry of children to Sovereign Grace Church. Those who have been here long enough, you know that this has always been a big and important need for our church. And with the growth of our church, now with more children among us and soon to be among us, this is an area where we need a deacon to serve and to guide. I hope that in coming days, brothers and sisters, you will join me in praying that the Lord would raise up three men qualified to serve our church in these three tasks. And as we close, beloved, I hope that from all of this, we can see the importance and necessity of deacons for our congregation. That these are three vitally important areas and needs for our church that can be fulfilled and should be fulfilled by deacons. We need them. That's the whole point of this sermon series, is that we would get to that point, that we would, be, uh, uh, we would, be, uh, we would know enough about what deacons are, that we would be able to do that confidently. But hear me on this. Our only hope as a congregation is not in a deacon, but in a Savior named Jesus Christ. And more than anything else, our congregation is that we need to keep our eyes fixed upon Him. Yes, we need deacons. But the end in itself is not deacons, or even elders for that matter. It is a church that loves and follows Jesus Christ and knows how to do things in an orderly, decent, behaving manner. And so that is why we need deacons. Not for our needs alone, but because our Savior has given us deacons to serve the church and in ways to help each and every one of us and those to come to keep our eyes fixed upon him. And all God's people say,